0: Hello, everybody. Thanks again for coming in and tuning into the Cranicoman podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Carnifex. How are you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we're back with a pretty bigish, uh, big episode today because um, our friends on our Discord uh, group—that's uh, uh, David Air from Italy and Chris from the United States—have managed to um, get Thomas Pyrnen on the show to talk about Mordenheim, its development and games development generally, his time at the studio, and what kind of projects he's working on now currently as he is a full-time game designer. So you've got that to look forward to today. So we're excited to get that on. And thanks very much uh, to Thomas for taking his time to come to the Crown of Command and talk all about it. Um, awesome. But, uh, before we get there, mate. So can't fix. tell us all, just spill the beans on what's been happening uh, on our Discord, mate, look, recently.
1: Yeah, uh, lots of content as usual. I'll um, touch on a few things, but uh, yeah, it's it's getting out of hand now, so I can't um, review everything or we'd be here for another hour. Um, <laughs> so just to kick that off, uh, Second Ed, or as we used to know, Minisode Ed, uh, made a very cool diorama it's a epic um, space marine scale and it's got like a reaver titan and some ultramarines or on the move it basically looks exactly like cover art you'd see on one of the boxes or um, one of the paintings in white dwarf of epic it's a um, real inspiration um, beautiful stuff fantastic um, and in that sort of same line of scale voistrian he painted some um, beautiful orc speedsters um, i just i don't know how you guys get the detail it's really crazy and um joe guardsman was making like uh some roads for epic and i think um making terrain at that scale has its own challenges but it looks really really good And Rastaman posted up like a huge tower on the Imperial Guard army that he's got. And it's uh, fantastically painted. And again, I I just don't know how you guys do the detail. It's amazing. Um, Sjord posted up his finished Lizardman army. So he finished off a salamander and it's been like a work. um, An army that he's been doing over a long period of time. So I guess he would feel pretty chuffed to sort of say yes it's finished there were comments that you know an army's never finished but at some point you got to say like geez enough is enough eh nah, that's a lie isn't it um he's also been doing a lot of work on his tyrannids so squad of tyrannid warriors tyrannid gargoyles they look really good um i like all of the bright colors like pinks and greens and stuff like that really stood out back in second edition Tyranids. And Davide as well has started painting up some Gargoyles. So I look forward to seeing like a, a completed squad. And um, a shout out to Satya Miniatures. Uh, that's Drew, he, he's basically released um, uh, sculpts of the seven uh, female uh, like Chaos Space Marine Marauder Warriors that he calls Exene Warriors. And they look right at home in a Rogue Trader or Second Ed Army. Um, they're really good Noise Marine editions or proxies. I'm going to use one as an aspiring champion for my Noise Marines. So um, I've popped a link for those in the second ed part of the uh, Discord. Check it out. Um, I think they look excellent now that I've got one in my hands. Detail on, it's fantastic. Um, and Necromunda has had a bit of love lately, which is great. Mr. D showed off a really cool Judge Dread sculpted on like an Adeptus bites or Arbytes however the hell you want to say it we say Arbytes Mike um, so basically he's uh, I think it's like a judge or someone like that that he's converted up and it looks pretty much the same as something you'd see in Mega City one um, perfect Judge Dread colors really rad um, just yeah, exactly what I would inspire to do if I had skill like that. I don't. Uh Dingleson showed off his sweet ratskins army. It's really, really cool. Love them. They had a lot of fluff back then. Um, and I don't know how to say this guy's username. It's it's probably an acronym, but it's W O F C D. So I don't know, WAF City. I don't know. We're showing he basically showed us some battle picks from like a Vansar versus Delac. Uh, match really fun to see. Nostalgic, that original Necromunda terrain. Perfect. Um, and in the Warmaster section, Sage Grouse, he's basically had some battle shots where he took his wood elves for a spin. Um, really cool to see. Don't don't often see enough Warmaster stuff, but the Warmaster community is still quite large and quite active because you can pretty much grab the rules for free and get models. Printed from like online STLs and stuff these days, so you're not, you know, getting charged a fortune on eBay, which sucks. But, um, yeah, it's cool to see Warmaster, um, out there. Dingleson showed off like his small night goblins force, really, really cute because it's got these tiny little squigs as well. They're fantastic. Uh, Jay Phoenix, um, <clears throat> has finished off Rapunster lioness i don't know if i'm saying that correctly but it's basically warhammer's um ripoff of joan of arc and it's a fantastic model the painting is just staggering i don't know how you do it but it's fantastic keep up the good job um suno painted up this ancient Otyag miniature i think that's how you say it basically it's this disgusting monster from dungeons and dragons that you'd find in sewers and stuff it's a really goofy model he's done a really good job of bringing it to life and it's like He's got this grin on his face that makes him just well would you say it's a shit-eating grin i guess so um but he just looks chuffed to be alive you know uh bringing life to these models is fantastic especially these old ones really cool sculpt um morglum he's been painting savage orc boar boys and he's been doing these custom animal skin shields they look so good um just like textbook heavy metal stuff uh man so great uh whiskey and wizards finished off dark reapers and a dark reaper x um they look pretty much straight out of the codex fantastic and Voistren, he has done an amazing war track from second Ed. um i think it's basically like a rogue trader holdover model it's the metal one it looks perfect so good now just to finish off um highlands painting he's painted up an amazing free buddha knob i'm pretty sure it's the original what would have been badruck badruck was basically created probably in rogue trader white dwarf era from like you know custom roles and rules and stuff and became a, a big character later on it's a perfect perfect um, model it's like got a little hair squig and things like that and uh, Highland paintings doing an amazing job painting it um, just perfect skills everyone's got um, some amazing uh, skills to show off and usually you can find some uh, great examples of this in the Evie lead painting section um, it's like a little channel under the hobby part so um, yeah that's my roundup um, keep up the good work guys fantastic to see uh, really, really proud of everyone.
0: Awesome, awesome, yeah, uh, yeah. So shout out to uh, Ed uh, with his diorama that is pretty bloody spectacular, being his first diorama ever. So Ed, congrats, mate, on that. That's really amazing. It sort of it does really reflect the uh, original artwork from the second edition Epic box set. So he did message me to say, "Hey, Josh, I think you might be interested in this," and and I sure was. It was really, really stunning to see that come together. And um, yeah, Highland Highland painting that um, orc freebooter, you're really doing a just and justice mate. It looks really stunning. So, yeah, it's good to see some you know a lot of hobby activity out there on the Discord on Face uh, Facebook as well in our Facebook community. And uh, yeah, guys like uh, Carnifex says, keep up the good work and keep pumping out those photos so it keeps inspiring other people to do uh, something similar. So just in closing, guys, enjoy the interview today we have with Thomas Piranen, and uh, I hope it will inspire you to get out your Mordenheim miniatures and uh, terrain again and start playing that in your local clubs or with friends uh, that you know. And um, I just wanted to say also, please check out the YouTube channel for the Crown of Command. I've just uploaded a tutorial on making uh, the 40K uh, cacti or the cactus plants you see in second edition reports and white dwarf articles and that kind of thing i've just uploaded that over the weekend and it's seems to have a pretty good response so far so people seem to be enjoying that and now i'm sort of working on a advanced hero quest uh, series of videos where i take four i don't know willing or unwilling adventurers into the depths mm-hmm. of some scaven lair and let's see how they fare Uh, Down there, so it's one of my classic uh, board games of all time, and it's and it's a solo play game. Like all those games of that era were, that used to have like three D role play, you know, solo rules and that kind of thing. So, I really look forward to doing those. I'm starting those today. And if you would like to support the podcast and the YouTube channel, please uh, check out the links to my Patreon. And uh, as that's sort of a growing community and people are discussing things or voting on stuff to paint or things they want to see and and making contributions there. So please uh, keep that in mind as well, but guys, let's get on with the show kind of X. Thanks mate for your time. And uh, uh, for keeping an eye on everything that's discord and we'll catch you next week, mate, or next time.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks again, everyone. See you around.
0: Okay, mate. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: See ya.
2: In the last year of the second millennium, 500 years before the rule of the most benevolent emperor, Karl Franz, there fell a time unlike any other. Just as there had been before the birth of Divine Sigma, the wings of fire in the sky again heralded the coming of great things. The coming of plague. The coming of war. The coming of pestilence and hunger. Though its unholy name is now stricken from the records of the great library of Altdorf and its ruins raised by Magnus, the savior of the Empire, I would tell you the tale of the cursed city brought low by the wrath of the gods, I would tell you the tale
3: of Mordheim. Okay, guys, here we are. Welcome back to the Crown of Command podcast. Uh, I'm Chris, and we are discussing Mordheim today. Uh, I have a very special guest with us, uh, besides Day. We have a man Hi. who needs no introduction. This is the creator of Mordheim himself. Please welcome Thomas Perinian.
4: Nice to be with you. It's the and the nice call out to Crown of Command is probably the most used magic item I had in the the Warhammer. It's the uh, <laughs> I believe the that's edition. where it got
3: its name. Yeah. Yeah, that was
5: the most broken probably. <laughs>
4: uh, yeah, it was interesting. I talked about that with Rick because it was there on purpose, really, to to uh, because the magic item slots were so valuable that yeah, you could you could sort of a uh, unbreak your goblin army's leadership, uh, but the the uh at the cost of the the using one of your magic item slots. Interesting discussion. I took it away in the sixth edition.
5: It was like it was written to break the rules. He wrote yeah
4: <laughs> so mm.
5: sabotating self. okay now let's back to something more interesting like more and yeah. you growth.
3: yeah just well so before I... we begin i just yeah. want to say uh thomas you have a reputation among the community for being uh very gracious with your time very accessible to answer questions and you're highly respected for that and i just wanted to uh, say thank you a community thank you from the entire community well it's the it's actually thanks to the community
4: like I make games I've made games all my life that's my job and I've made a lot of games and I have to say that most game communities online are so toxic and so filled with sort of this unreasoning rage. It's the what what uh Shakespeare talked about is the full of sound and fury, signifying nothing.
5: Mm.
4: Uh and the Modheim community online, especially the Facebook one, uh, is so well curated, managed, is the the modif uh moderated. And the people are you go to the 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 Modheim's Facebook group every day. There is some awesome painting modeling, the people helping each other, new rules, new art. It's the the kind of a infectious enthusiasm for the game that so many games communities that totally lack. So really the result why I am there and I'm happy to answer questions and to communicate with the community is that the community uh, is the best one online that I've seen.
5: Yeah, probably because, you know, uh, I think that this is because uh, the Mordheim player, the typical Mordheim player, is not the ordinary, let's say, Warhammer-like player. He is more versed to uh, the hobby part, like, he cares less about the numbers. Is it possible?
4: Yeah, I mean, you look at Mordheim, which was first of all, it's the the uh, you are expected to customize your troops a lot, and it's encouraged throughout all the rules that are written. You can't actually play it unless you're a bit more hardcore hobbyist because you can't just go and buy the scenery that you require if you want to play a good game of Mordheim. You need to yeah. build a lot of stuff yourself. So it sort of self-selects people who are really vested in the hobby. And I also think that the, the, the background, the, the, the theme, the atmosphere is, I hate the word mature, but I would say in a kind of a setting that you need a certain amount of adult appreciation. Yeah. Whatever you're old or young, it's the, the that again, it tends to self-select people who have a, maybe a bit more sophistication than just swearing at each other online.
5: Yeah, definitely. That reminds me the, the same approach that some kind of role-playing game has. Like the difference between, let's say, I, I, I know you play a lot, I mean, you played or you're still playing a lot of uh, role-playing game, but probably the difference between the the and d gamer, the d player, and the, let's say, Call of Cthulhu player. That's, right. that's a difference between the two. Can you
4: agree, maybe? Yeah, I mean, there are plenty. I mean, d is huge. Yeah. Uh, and there are plenty of wonderful, marvellous players, but there are also a lot of, like, the casual people who've come in, sort of take a peek. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the way for... No, that no, a bit no, exactly, from... no exactly, exactly. While the Call of Tulu, it's the, you really need to be into your games to get into it. And the, the, you have to have a certain amount of uh, mental fortitude to play a horror game that's meant to be as disturbing as, as a game master can make it. So yeah, I think there is similar parallels between the two. I mean, you look at just the, the, the Mordheim art, if you pick that book and go, yep, this is a game for me, this is what I want to play, it's the, you probably are not so much into the, 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 the most casual mainstream fantasy.
5: Uh, yes and no. I mean uh, that that this leads us to the first question that Chris wrote maybe he can introduce it if you because yep. go
3: ahead so, um... yeah i'm i'm free just uh, to have an open conversation about this yeah. um, one thing that attracted me to Mordheim uh, likewise with Blood Bowl and Necromunda is that it was more of a campaign game that you could uh you wouldn't just play a game and, and put it away, but you would, you know, continue to build and develop as you went on and and sometimes with unexpected results, you, you know, you didn't just um you didn't have total control over what happens to your to your force. And uh I think that's something that probably will also attract a certain kind of gamer. uh, Someone who really likes to have control, really likes to min and max to list build. Um, I don't know. Do you you think they might struggle with a game like Mordheim? Outside of tournament experience,
4: yes. I mean, there has been a plenty, and I do mean because the game is well over 20 years old now. There have been a plenty of Mordheim competitive tournaments, which... Curiously, it's it's not the usual suspects that tend to win it, Um, but for the vast majority of the games played, it's the role-playing element, it's the role of of random that is very strong on Mordheim and on purpose. Uh, the sort of all the depth that comes from the critical tables, from the exploration chart. For a lot of items, is the to see what happens. Is the there is a lot of rolling involved? Is the often you can win the battle, but you can badly lose the post-battle sequence. And I think uh, and it sort of takes you on a journey. Like the 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 fun part of it is is not so much to test whatever my force is optimally tuned and tweaked, but where does this mad ride take me? And that's very much on purpose, on the way that the Mordheim is built, like the the strong role of randomness and the, the game sort of kind of being against you. It's very, very tough to become super powerful in Mordheim. The systems tend to be quite punishing and it's quite easy to like totally lose and to, to your warband to become unplayably weak. And that's part all part of it. It does then also mean that the, the the when you are successful it feels so much more satisfying because if a game is set up that the, the you can see the on the average rolls you know how the your force is going to uh, perform and how everything is going to happen then the, the winning or doing well or things going by the plan isn't very satisfying compared to Mordheim where you take this insane last chance that you have your troll slayer on the sixth floor of a building and there is the last guy with the we- uh, weird stone piece getting out of the board and winning the scenario and then you decide to do the diving charge and it's yeah. sometimes you are lucky enough that you roll the one on initiative and you just this stomp with <laughs> the opponent with the with head with a uh, swan diving uh, dwarf, you know, and then you really, really remember that.
5: You know what, Thomas, this reminds me the same approach that they tried to evoke with Warmer Fantasy roleplay first edition. Mm. Like the ordinary man has 30% of chance to do anything. So it's like uh, you mostly will fail, but when you're gonna do that, it's gonna be super rewarding. So it's like it has the same spirit somehow for me like uh, everything is very hard so if you manage to do that uh, you're gonna enjoy it definitely I mean and
4: yep. I mean uh, yeah yeah Uh I ran a before I joined Games Workshop I ran a first edition Warhammer fantasy roleplay campaign here in Finland for years and um, indeed for example Ionor, the Sword of Twilight is a player character from the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay campaign that I ran. So the, there is a strong roots between the two. It's the yes, it's the... the, And of course, if you look at the team, like I was really pretty much the last time when I had the same team that work on the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 1st Edition still working with me on Mordheim. So there is a lot of the... It's not a direct spiritual successor since it's a tabletop. It's a miniature game and not a role-playing game. But you can see the, the the influence of people like John Blanche and Rick and Jervis, it's the, the uh who were working along with me in that game, it's the, the So um I think that's an astute uh thing to notice.
5: Yeah. And do you think that this can be a game to introduce someone to let's say trading gaming? I mean. From my experience, the, the best players, the ones that were less max-mini players, were the, let's say, the virgins, like the one that never touched a single miniature. And they were focusing on the story. So they were not thinking about the numbers, which led my campaign, the, the campaign I brought, the direction I was expecting to, I actually I was hoping to, because, you know, when, when you put such a system, uh, a very simple one uh, in the hands of power players, let's say that, it's very easy to break everything and just... So, to me, I mean, uh, looks like than is the perfect thing to introduce someone to 3D gaming in the right way, let's say this, in the very role-playing, stylish 3D gaming. Mm. Is it- can work for
4: you? you yeah yeah i mean i'm famous the on tabletop space i'm obviously famous for doing the sixth edition which my whole mission was to balance the game because at that point warhammer was very very much a competitive game um, i was a tournament player alessio who worked for me was a competitive competitive tournament player yeah so i know,
5: him. I know him. <laughs> it, it,
4: yeah so the the uh so at, when i wrote the sixth edition my whole mission was to create a balanced game, but Mordheim's mission okay. was really a—it was the sort of introduction to Warhammer World, uh, and it of course had to follow the Fifth Edition rules closely at that point, since there was no point writing a game that wouldn't allow you to to enter into the rest of the Games Workshops uh, the, the games. Uh, but the, the, it was not written as a competitive game. There is a lot of stuff that I did, like, for example, people always complain me why you made armor so expensive?" And I said. <laughs> oh. In real yeah, world, it was the next armor that was... was the
5: next point for us. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, but in real world, armor was super expensive. Like we see these Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. Everybody was wearing plate mail that can't stop even a single arrow, which I find hili- hilarious. Have you ever seen an armor work in Hollywood movie against arrows or uh, any strikes? No, but the the in actuality, the people who during the the medieval and Renaissance times could actually afford suit of armor, there were very 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 few. It was a huge status symbol, so the the it was a decision to make some things expensive for the sort of the world-building and role-playing and story aspects and not game balance. Because, of course, I knew they were expensive. Yeah, I did it on purpose. Now, people can disagree with me, and what is easier to do than agree with your gaming group to cut the armor prices in half? Sure, go ahead. But the, the I sort of wanted to you to experience what it would be like to be a mercenary captain in the, the, the time of the free emperors and the reality was that you couldn't give everybody heavy armor while in the Warhammer the uh, battle system it's the, the armor is so cheap or it was in that point that the, the you you don't even think about it you always yeah. buy all the armor.
5: Yeah I fully agree. The, the only thing we we I don't want to say the, the word fixed but patched house ruled was the saving throw. We just increased it by one. That's the only yep. thing just because yep. it was like yeah, it's very costly, and it's the closest thing to a tank back in the yeah, and- world. So you, you you should survive pretty to anything, even yeah. if it's not obviously like that in reality, but who cares? I mean, it's fantasy.
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, that's a great house rule. Now, as I said, I had a sort of a guide to that I shouldn't deviate too much from the 5th edition rules uh so the the like moving the the armor one pip higher it's the the there was uh that would have been a scene as a sort of of course the idea was that you play that and then you can pretty much play the warhammer uh fantasy battle game as well and if you have a totally different armor rules that could be seen as a bad thing uh, but I think as a house rule, that's great. And I would happily play in a tournament where that, that was a rule. There was a, one additional benefit for to making armor rare, which is the fluidity of the game. Like I tried to streamline the game compared to what Warhammer was at that point, and especially what Mod- I was sorry, the Necromunda was at that point. I tried to make the, the game play much more fluidly and they, they reduce the number of dice rolls and one benefit of very few people having armor is that you had a lot less arm saves to make Yeah, I fully agree, I
5: fully agree I think, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, You were behind Town Crier 2, just wondering, I don't remember if you were involved
4: in... Yeah, yeah, it's the first 10-15 uh the, the, the issues, I was the, the editor so I read everything, edited a fair few things, wrote quite a few things as well like the Opulent Goods was mine and a couple of other people, the, the Beastman Warband, I also yeah. the, saw the Dwarf Warband. There was a lot of stuff I wrote to the Town Crier, yeah. one special scenario, uh, tons of stuff. Uh, and I think Town Crier had an important role, because right from the beginning we said that, look, we will do stuff, but most of the people writing Town Crier are the fans and hobbyists. This is the game belongs to them at least as much as belongs to the games workshop and that was the, the philosophy right from the beginning cause remember mordheim was not meant to be the big money maker those were and still are always where 40k and fantasy the other games are there to sort of support and grow hobby introduce new people bring in new bring in uh younger people it's the, the those who don't want to read 300 page rule book just get started or put Two thousand, three thousand uh, dollars on the table to buy an army, so the the I didn't have to worry too much about. Um, how would I say it's the the just money? I mean, the yeah, the, as okay. you might remember, Morheim Boxset was a ten pounds cheaper than all the other core box games at that time. Yeah,
5: there was no economic target, kind of, mm-hmm.
4: let's say, kind of. <laughs> uh, I mean. Yeah, sure. It made money, but that was not the main reason why the the, the yeah, it was written did. to be a drive for the main
5: games. Yeah, were... yeah.
3: And can you I... talk briefly about um, kind of the timeline of? Now, I, I I know that Mordheim came between fifth and sixth, but can oh. you talk about how Mordheim influenced sixth edition, and were some of those ideas? already there that 6th edition was going to take on some of these qualities or no. is it did it kind of come about purely because of Mordheim um, no no
4: no it's the 6th edition had been penciled in the calendar a long time before and the main way it influenced that was that the, the really the design studio used Mordheim as an acid test that can I actually write a full box game I had done siege and the realm of chaos for 5th edition already And those were like big box projects with a lot of stuff. But full boxed game is a big deal in Games Workshop, especially at that time. So Mordheim proved that I can do it. Because at that point, the the core games, uh, Warhammer was almost as big as 40k. So it was a big deal. Uh, Whoever wrote that, it mattered a lot. So it sort of allowed me to do it. But the rules wise, um, Mordheim, was based on fifth edition very strongly but it what did how it did influence sixth edition was that once i've done mordheim and i started on sixth edition it really made me to think of the what are the the pain points what are the things that truly make things a lot better than the the others it's the how should i approach the price of the units when i'm thinking about game balance and not role playing so the 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 rules themselves are self-contained in both games. I mean, they're both, of course they are both of the same game family. Yeah. But the the um I think the what you see in Mordheim, actually more sort of the, the how it influenced the sixth edition was the art. Because the in fifth edition it was very cartoony, very sort of some people call childish, very lighthearted, very colorful uh cartoony uh, and then... sort of high fantasy. Yeah, high, high fantasy. fantasy, and 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 maybe a bit more like a, aimed at the uh, young teens rather than uh, young adults. And then we did Mordheim, and the art direction was very well received, especially within the company. And then you look at the the the, the how the sixth editions is presented. It's the it's called the Mordheim factor. That was very much what John Blanche set out to do. For John still considers Mordheim his crowning achievement art wise in at Games Workshop, and that is a high praise because John Blanche is the the word is used way way too much nowadays. But John Blanche is a genuine legend, like he's the grand old man of the fantasy art in Europe. I mean, you look at him. You guys remember the the. Um, uh, the Tolkien's world, like the pictures of the fall of Gondolin, that was John Blanche. Yeah. The Battle of the Five Armies, that was John Blanche. The the yeah. cover for the Dungeons & Dragons first edition in all across Europe, that was John Blanche. Obviously, the entire look and feel of the, the Warhammer of k that's John Blanche.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Modern miniature painting, remember who won the first Golden Slayer Demon Sword? That was John Blanche. Mm-hmm.
5: I was thinking more about, like, I would like to see uh, a young Miller version of More Dive Hearts mm. quite disturbing.
4: <laughs> yeah, oh well that would be absolutely excellent. I mean Ian and John, as you know, is the worked years hand in hand. So the the uh, Irish, it's the the uh, the 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 that would have been something that the, we would have been able to do. It's the the but of course Ian was independent at that point. Great artist, one of the all time greats.
5: Wasn't that period that like when the sixth edition came out? There was this huge turn on the dark side of the like let's let's write a, a dark themed Warhammer with more dime and but mm-hmm. with graphics and everything that came out after that. Mm. Completely different version of the fifth and the second edition of the 40k just wondering if games like uh vampires the world of darkness you know Mm. had an influence because i do remember back in times that those games that game had a huge impact in the very beginning of 2000 if i'm correct and like it, it pushed every every project connected to the, let's say, nerd world in the dark side of their games, basically. Because, yeah, if we see it, the fifth edition is completely different from the sixth, but not in terms of rules, just in terms of approach, like world vision. And more time is the maximum, is the epitome yeah. of of that theme, it's the
4: darkest thing they ever did, probably, you I mean, did, probably, yeah. <laughs> connected to the War of War. Yeah, no, well, uh, I played uh, the, the vampire quite a bit, but nobody else in the design studio and the creative team team did. How the fifth, uh, Mordheim and sixth edition came about, it really was more John Blanche reaching back to the his roots and the the and we were inspired a lot by the the Bosch, Durer, a lot of these middle age uh, like uh, artists who presented. This is what the Last Judgment looks like. This is what hell looks like. Uh, if there was influence from vampire, it was maybe some things in my writing. It's it is, since we all absorb the games we do. But the presentation you're referring to, uh, that's all John Blanche and the old masters.
3: Oh, okay. 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 So speaking of Mordheim and its connection to 6th edition, mm. uh I'm curious about the appendix that includes um Warhammer Skirmish mm. and what the connection there is and how that how that came about. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. I mean, uh when we I was writing the 6th edition,
4: uh we were really big on the the let's offer the players the biggest possible value for money. And the the it was just in one day, it's the I think it was Gordon who was the head of the studio said, Hey, can we just put the, the uh Mordheim rules in the rule book? And I said, I will have to t- make some changes, but sure. And then another day it was Rick Priestley who came to me, remember the siege? I said, Yeah. I said, can we put it in the sixth edition rule book? I said, Yeah, sure. So that's why you ended up with uh, the the sixth edition book being such a tome the whole point was that let's give the players an ability to play any kind of game without having to buy supplements if possible apart from army books in the warhammer world so the the um so really the reason why the the a version of the slightly modified version of the uh, skirmish rules. It's the, the, which obviously is based in more is in the book is that the, the uh, we had a tested rule set. It's the, with a small changes could be made to work for the sixth edition. Uh, and we wanted to offer the sixth edition book to be something like when a player gets it and goes, whoa, I can play so many different things. There are rules for all these awesome, the, the, the different kinds of battles. And I believe that the Warhammer Skirmish was played quite a bit. There was quite a lot of especially fan support from the Vampire Coast and Lustria and the, the so on and so forth, which again fed back to Mordheim. It's the, because all that stuff that the people came up with for the 6th edition was pretty much straight up usable in Mordheim. So the the in the hindsight, I think that's been a one of the reasons why the Mordheim still endures to this day which is bloody impressive. I mean, the amount of games I've done that have been big hits, but nobody would ever play them twenty years later. It's the it's quite quite extraordinary. I mean, it's somewhat similar to sixth edition, which is still of the Warhammer well, Fantasy. It's the the is very very loved and a much played version of the game still today. Which is I am yeah, just the battle uh, is between remember the
5: third edition. The fifth and the sixth. The other mm. basically does not exist, yeah. <laughs> at least yeah. in Italy. So yeah. <laughs> the big battle is between the fifth and the sixth. Hurt against rules. Uso. Well
4: yeah, well, I was I was the, the Warhammer lead on the, the both games, so the, the I can't complain.
5: Yeah. I'm wondering, Thomas, have you ever yeah. considered about writing a campaign like the one they had? In the fifth and fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy, four more time. like there was a plan. I I, I know that there is, um, because I read it on the Facebook page. There is a, a main plot on the more setting. But I was wondering if you ever considered back like in times or just well, it about I... writing a campaign.
4: I still have my notes how I run that campaign in the design studio, but there is a slight snag there that, strictly speaking, that's still a Games Workshop property. I did write it while I was employed, and my contract was quite clear that everything I write for Warhammer, including anything I do in my free time, is their property. So I'm a little bit, how would I say, wary of just giving it out to the world because the... the, uh, it's. Yeah. It, I'm also talking morally. Like I put my name on contract, and I should honor it.
5: Yeah, but
4: there were there were plans. Oh, oh, absolutely. There were. It's the. I mean, I left reasonably soon after the the sixth edition came out. So there was a ton of stuff I was still planning to do for modheim for Warhammer. I had other game ideas. It's the. But that's just natural, right? That's what us game game designers do.
3: Okay. We are back <laughs> after a short break. Okay, so we, we were just discussing um, a campaign uh, that you had run, Thomas, for for Mordheim. Uh, let's take the discussion back to the perspective of a newcomer to the game. Uh, is there any advice that you would give? to someone who wants to begin running a campaign of Mordheim for their first time? Yeah. I think that in order for the the to run a campaign that's
4: actually like runs from beginning till end, is the first of all you must have a clear idea what determines do you win or lose, and have a plan that the people who fall behind and they no longer have a chance to win is that they can somehow contribute to it. So let's, for example, say that there is a chat that the, in the end, the campaign will end in a huge battle and yes, it's the the your progress too far counts towards a benefits in that, but everybody still has a chance to win or something like that. Mm-hmm. One very good way to do this is to go to our Broheim or the Warhammer Group files section in Facebook and download the map-based campaign that me and the, the couple of other people did. I was I intended to include a map-based campaign in the Mordheim book. I just ran out of time. So Uh, a year ago. It's the, uh, we did it. Uh, That in a single page gives you all the rules on how to run a campaign. But really, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. Sorry, I couldn't contain
4: myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so the the, the other way is to approach it a bit more if you come from RPG, uh, the background is to organize a story. And there are like the games you determine what scenarios in which order people play and the the and they contribute to victories and losses towards the story. It could be like the choose your own adventure style. So in the end, the campaign will end one way or another, but there isn't a true victory or loss in a sense that the the you count points, but rather that the winning or losing battles along the way will push the story towards a good ending to one faction or another. Mm-hmm. So the, the the that one takes a lot of work. You need to be very dedicated, but if you've been a dungeon master or game master in role-playing game, that should be in your wheelhouse. And most of the stuff is in the rule book because you really just need to write some fiction and choose which scenarios you want to run.
3: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned uh, Broheim, which is broheim.net, and it's like the source for finding all the information uh, for the game, I, I think that you know, from the perspective of new new players wanting to get into the game, uh, Mordheim is very easy to get into. Uh, the rules are easy to find. There's no special cards or templates, or anything needed. Um, as far as miniatures go, there are so many miniatures out there because the game is you know fantasy based, so it's not too hard to find that. Uh, and we talked before about terrain and how. Uh, Mordheim encourages you to create your own terrain, although there are a wide number of uh, terrain resources available today that weren't around in the 90s with 3D printing and laser cut MDF and all these things you can think of. Um, But on the topic of terrain for a new beginner, um, how much terrain is needed uh, what and what would too much or too little terrain do to the uh state of the game? Well,
4: too little means that the missile fire will dominate the, the, the game and it will be boring. Uh, the, the too much is almost an oxymoron in Mordheim, but you do want if it make it so dense that it's very difficult to move the miniatures around, you will have a problem. But by and large, the richer the table, the better. However, my one hint is that there are many rules in Mordheim, many, many rules in the, that deal with height differences. So instead of just thinking of filling the board as much uh, horizontally as possible, as you would do in most miniature games, think of verticality, towers, the, the, the a street levels or, or the streets on different levels, walkaways, uh, just like they were in the real medieval cities ab- uh, above the streets. It's the canals that give you depth. And most importantly, which is why I'm uh, part of the reason why I made the story uh, of Mordheim about the comet striking a city just wreck your buildings. The problem I always had because we wanted to do a city based fantasy game for a long time is that tell me what is the worst possible piece of terrain for a miniature game? It's a building because the dam bugger is a closed box with a a slanted roof so you can't put miniatures anywhere so the only thing it does it stops you from playing. However you blast a mini uh, you blast a meteor right there so there is just corners standing bits of the the, the, the roof there are ladders and the, the everywhere there are windows that the, the you can position characters the, the inside them suddenly you have an awesome terrain to play over it's the, the and that's why there are rules for diving charges and climbing. And falling off from the ledges and pushing characters and the the uh, getting advantage from sniping from above—it's the the uh, all these things are there to encourage that. So more is usually better, but it's actually possibly at least as important that you think of the verticality of the table, and it's also the most fun to build. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, i I know your time is limited uh so one one question here i want to ask you before you go are there any like last minute tips or things that that players should avoid things that they don't want to break the game so um anything that might any last minute thoughts i guess
4: yeah i i mean morheim was not conceived as a Minimaxing maxing tournament games. So there are a couple of well-known ways to break the game, as, the, 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 as in not necessarily even that you win every match, but that you make every game you play boring for both you and your opponent. The Skaven sling spam is one. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, there are a few things that you should not do to ruin the game for everyone, those are pretty well known. That once you get into any of the Mordheim groups, everybody knows them. It's the, the uh, you probably want to deal somehow with the offhand weapon fighting, so that the, the or at least that you don't just give everybody in your weapon two weapons and they just do a forward charging uh, uh groups. Um, the, the uh, don't break the game for the sake of breaking cost, the winning or losing it's important but it should not come in expense of making it a really exciting battle think about the the your warband what's their story Mm. why are they there it's the where do they come from so they could be so instead of just saying that i want to maximize the damage i do it's the, the you might think that this guy was a hunter so I'm going to give the, him a longbow and hunting arrows, and suddenly you have this interesting snipery character. Um, so the, the Modheim isn't like a competitive collectible card game, a game that is, is being built to try to avoid uh, any overt uh, the, the imbalances, because it was super important that each of the wolf and band feels like the story the, the, that they are set to tell. So the, the I, I think it's don't be a jerk. That's a very good rule for playing Mordheim. Yeah,
5: like feelings over numbers. Mm.
4: Can be? <laughs> yeah, it it can be. I mean, I have no objection of you, but I would rather win a Mordheim game by coming off with some outlandish combination. It's the the... Like what I did in my own campaign, I put all my effort on my Witch Hunters since the Witch Hunters is the only warband where every hero can take academic skill. I ruled the trading sequence. So I lost a fair few games, but then eventually it's the I, uh, equipment got so cheap to me that everybody had a very unique, but very outlandish gear. And I became powerful because of that. That's a very different way than just trying to minimax a maximum number of slings. So at least every model on my force was very interesting and unique. So the the uh if you are looking to be powerful, at least be interesting in a way that you chase the power so that your your opponent experiences something else than you just rolling the same number of dice to shoot, the same weapons every single turn, and you don't move. Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah, I like your, your
3: your your uh, comments on bringing character to your war band and having them tell a story. And I imagine that um, kind of using a WYSIWYG approach, where all your models are modeled exactly how they're actually armed, uh, both helps to build a narrative and it also makes playing the game much easier.
4: Yep, yep, and 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 memorable. Remember, it's the I think the reason. I mean. So few games last this long, especially on the tabletop space. There are so many board games and miniature games that some of them even were big and they are now forgotten. And I do think it's the, the, a lot of things in Mordheim contribute towards it being memorable. I mean, it's so difficult to succeed. So it's when you do something awesome, it's the, the, you really remember it. And because the games build on you trying to make a warband your own. It's the, the rather than a generic force. It remains in the back of your head. You remember the characters you created. You remember the stories that they went through in the exploration or the, the, the injury chart uh, and the skills you picked for them and what advances they got from the random uh, charts. That the, the, I think that's part of the reason why I remember it. I also think that the, the, the division between henchmen and heroes means that in most skirmish games, you're supposed to remember and name every single model and that's a lot. But if you have like a classic group of from the the one to six heroes, which is exactly the Mordheim's hero approach, then you can remember those six people. Each one of them was a unique personality. And I think all these little things that the they are in Mordheim are part of the reason why it still lives on.
3: Well, thank you so thank you. much for um for coming on here, thomas, to to talk to us about this. I guarantee that after listening to this, there's going to be a lot of buzz in the Discord, and I'm going to get all kinds of questions about how do I get started in the game, and and where can I find some of this stuff. So, uh, thanks again for you know really uh, inspiring us to to, to game. Um, I know I promised you an opportunity to talk about some of the projects that you are currently working on. Uh, and I would love to be able to talk to you again about that at some point, if you'd like. Yep. Uh,
4: well, a couple of things I want to say. First of all, sure. it's the, the, for all senior uh, sort of experienced senior gamers. It's the remember your duty, I think, is that to be welcoming to new players. Because the only way we are going to have this hobby is if we bring the next generation up. Mm-hmm. It's the, the so that's one very important message I always want to put out. As for projects I'm working on, uh, if you go to Kickstarter, you will find a marvelous uh, game, uh, miniature game called uh, Trench Crusade, that the the uh, I am doing the rules for, which is sort of a uh, First World War sci-fi version of Modheim that I'm doing with a highly modernized rules. But the the that will be coming out uh, later this year, and I've also made a company level fantasy tabletop game that I'm going to just distribute free as a gift to the the community wow. as uh, in general is the later this year. I'm obviously also work a lot on video games. So if you're looking for some say old school shooting action, I designed a game called Mr. Auto Fire for your phones. I've done a lot of console games and the PC games as, as well along the way, but the right now my sort of a day job is to make ones for the mobile devices, which is surprisingly a lot of fun, but I will never abandon the tabletop.
3: Well, if you wanted to link me to any of those projects, I'll make sure to add them into our show notes so other people can uh, click on them and see what else you're working on. Absolutely, you're gonna get the links. Awesome, thank you.
5: French Crusade arts are amazing. (laughs) Just checking it now, uh,
4: Yeah, wow. Uh, I try to keep quality high on everything I do.
5: Yeah, we know it.
4: <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, maybe yeah. I have a chance to catch you in Modena. It's still later this year. So, the, yes. the uh, and I look, and I will bl- gladly become a guest again. So, the, the, I need to jump off at this point, but thanks for having me. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you again
3: thank you for much. coming, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Voiceover by Owen Staten. You can find me on the Time Between Times podcast or Spectre of the Sea. If you want to contact me, Owen Staten at AOL.com. Diochenbauer.